It's time for Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And here is your host, Inside Towers business editor, John Celentano. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. You've heard the expression, it takes a lot of wires to make wireless work. In today's telecom market, those wires are fiber optic cables. Fiber has performance characteristics of being able to handle large volumes of voice, data, and video traffic at high speeds over long distances without being susceptible to electrical interference and degradation from the elements like copper cables. Fiber cables are relatively lightweight and generally easier to handle than copper cable for the transmission capacity they provide. Fiber cable use is widespread and growing in wireless at cell sites, for backhaul to the core, in data centers, and for long-haul intercity and international transport. Still, fiber cable installation and testing must be conducted in a precise manner to ensure peak performance. Such deployments require skilled technicians and specialized tools and test sets. So we want to get into all aspects of fiber applications in telecom and associated installation and testing practices. We're actually covering this topic in three separate sessions. Today is part one, in which we'll cover a high-level view of fiber and telecom, including wireless and wireline applications. In part two, we'll look closer at how fiber is being used in wireless. And in part three, we will discuss the need for trained field technicians and how to develop their fiber installation and testing skills. We will post notifications with links to access uh, the individual sessions, both on our website, insidetowers.com, and on social media when each session is available. I'm joined today by three experienced and very knowledgeable individuals who will discuss the details and nuances of fiber applications. Here with me from the obvious solutions are Mike D, senior field engineer, and Jeff Harmon, senior systems engineer, and from Graybar are Scott Jackson, national market manager. Gentlemen, welcome to Tower Talks. Thanks, John. Thank you. Mike, why don't you start us off with a pitch on, on Viavi and, and a background on your experience in telecom. Hello, this is Mike D. I'm out of my home office. Been with Test and Measurement for 23 years in the industry. Most of that spent on fiber optic testing and I work in all market spaces. So not just a specific market, cable, telephone, military, data, cellular, wireless, and Viavi with our change of ownership, focusing on test and measurement for nearly everybody in the world from data centers to enterprise customers, certainly to providers in the cable, telco, and wireless spaces. Great, thanks. Jeff, how about you? How long have you been in telecom? Too long. So. <laughs> Um, my name is Jeff Harmon. I'm out of the great state of Texas. I spent all 16 years with AT&T and Bellcore or Bell Labs. And then I've been with Viavi with four name changes for 25 years now. So I'm focused on fiber in the U.S. and the Pacific and Micronesian Islands. So I work a lot with fiber. Used to work a lot with copper. Excellent. Well, we'll touch on all aspects of that, I'm sure. Scott, tell us about Graybar and, and your own telecom experience. Well, I'm Scott Jackson. I'm the national market manager at Graybar. I have both, it's broadband only, and I have both wireline and wireless applications. I also serve in a lot of industry associations in varied capacities. I was formerly on the board of directors of the Fiber Broadband Association for two terms, uh, former, and I was chairman of the board twice. 
And um, I also service the Utilities Technology Council, which a lot of grid modernization is going on in preparation for 5G. So that makes it pertinent among various other industry associations, either boards or committees. Uh, Graybar is the largest stocking distributor of fiber in the United States period. We're a $7.5 billion company. And we go back to 1869. If you're doing the math, last year was our 150th anniversary. So we've been around since the inception. In fact, one of our founders invented the telegraph and his telephone was the only one that actually worked with the patent fight. And so that's how we became, we were part of Western Electric for a long time. <laughs> and we spun off in 25 as the supply arm and we are still, we are Graybar still to this day. Great. That's, that's a good story. That's, that's, yeah. that's a long history in this business for sure. I think we'd, we'd want to start out with a fairly high level view of fiber, uh, you know, what it's about, uh, and then, uh, you know, what's driving demand for fiber versus other media and, um, and, and get into some aspects of that. But, <clears throat> you know, uh, having been in telecom a long time, we all know that, uh, you know, when we first joined, we, we should have been issued our our book of acronyms, and uh, certainly this this area is no different. But just give us a little bit of clarity on some of the nomenclature that's used in fiber and what it really means. Uh, you know, we hear single mode versus multi mode, and miles of fiber route versus fiber miles, and and and, and certainly when it comes to connectors, it's like alphabet soup. But uh, um, so why don't you give us a little a little insight into into some of the terms that are used and what they mean and uh, and how they play into this. Sure. So one of the questions that gets asked is why fiber? And I always tell people fiber offers virtually unlimited bandwidth. Currently up to, we're up to about 400 gigs over a fiber, except when I add CWDM and DWDM, I can increase that by, in, by adding different lambdas or wavelengths. So fiber becomes virtually an unlimited bandwidth form. So what's the difference between single mode and multi-mode? It's really the core size. The actual glass is the exact same size, 125 micron outer diameter. But with the two different, when you look at a piece of fiber, what you don't actually realize is there's actually two different types of silica there. There's a core and there's a cladding. And the core is what makes up single mode versus multi-mode. In single mode, the core is nine microns. It can be six to 12, but it's typically nine microns. So it's a very small core, about one-tenth the size of a human hair. And the light will fill that in a single mode fiber. And single mode fiber is going to be used in 95% of all the applications out there. Multi-mode has a core size of 50 to 62 and a half microns. So it used to be multi-mode was used in enterprise environments, some fiber to the antenna, but because of the nature of the speeds and the bandwidth requirements, multi-mode is being pushed out for single mode. That's, that's distance related pretty much? or, or Yeah, or and then we, as we get into distance related, single mode is really as far as we can regenerate it. Um, and multi-mode is very limited based on, because of the core sizes. And multi-mode also uses LEDs and not so much lasers to transmit mm -hmm. their fiber. Mm -hmm. So there's just a limited amount of distance and bandwidth that we're going to get out of multi-mode. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Presumably and there's, a, there's a cost variation as well between the two, obviously. Right. Actually, multi-mode is more expensive to manufacture, but cheaper to deploy since there's mm -hmm. LEDs and not lasers. Mm -hmm. Mm 
And then one of your other questions is, what's the difference between route miles and fiber miles? And I get asked this, but I always get asked this in a couple different fashions. So if we look at fiber route miles, the fiber routes are measured in the conduit length. So how far does that conduit need to be, how much fiber needs to go into it. When we look at fiber miles, they're measured by the number of strands that are in that sheath. So if I have one mile of fiber, but in that sheath there's 144 count fiber, I have 144 miles of fiber that would be in that conduit, mm -hmm. that one mile conduit. And then the difference between, you know, somebody says, what's the difference between cable distance and fiber distance? Well, if I take a mile of fiber, it's 5,280 feet, but there's a 1% helix factor when we roll that fiber. However, when you go out in the field, we don't stretch that fiber straight. So when you're out in the field and you're deploying fiber, there's a lot of slack loops that are put in, add the helix factors. So your distance on your fiber is, you know, when you look at the distance uh, portion, it's a lot shorter than the actual fiber itself because of all the slack mm -hmm, loops and things mm -hmm. that are built in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's built in by design. I mean, you know, yep. the designers know where to put those loops in and uh, how many times they need to loop them, that sort of thing, right? Sure, because if it's an aerial fiber, there's an accident and the pole gets taken right. down, they want to be able to get that back up quickly so they can pull up the slack loops and re-splice that fiber. You know, you mentioned aerial and, and, and conduit. Um, is there one application versus the other that tends to be predominant or are we seeing... Uh, you know, more or less uh, equal amounts of uh, aerial and, and buried fiber uh, uh, in, in the different applications. I know it's kind of a loaded question, but uh, I think it would help to just kind of put into context, um, you know, how the fiber is being deployed. Well, geographically, we it depends on where you're at. So okay. if you're in older areas where everything's aerial and we can't really bury things, everything's going to go in aerial. Hmm. When you're in new developments and new business complexes and things like that, aerial is out the they don't use aerial anymore, so everything gets buried. And even in some neighborhoods and things, in some places that were that were aerial, if they can dig, they will start to dig and put that fiber in the ground. So I would venture to guess there's probably more fiber in the ground than there is in the mm -hmm. air, but it really just comes down to your geographic uh, area. Right. Scott, you had a... Um... Well, as we're, we're heading down the, the topic, um, I think let's back up and have a holistic view because there's a lot of different various types of fiber that we're going to see. Mm -hmm. And um, from my perspective, we're a distributor and I generally look at the 30,000 foot view and then Jeff and Mike D at Liavi, they get into, they know fiber, they know the testing and the different various types. So I can kind of bounce, I can kind of give a 30,000 foot view. I think if we back up and look at that, Number one, demand is outpacing supply. That's going to happen for the next three to five years, period. Mm -hmm. In the demand for fiber, the Fiber Broadband Association has a road to fiber is paid, or road to 5G is paid with fiber. 1.3 million miles of fiber will be deployed for 5G applications in the top 25 metros, and that's just one carrier. Now we also have the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. That is your wireline. A lot of your electric cooperatives that are getting into the wireline business are putting another demand on fiber. Then we also have the CARES Act funding and other funding vehicles, which schools, municipalities, and et cetera, private cellular, which is wireless, but you know, we have an unbelievable amount of demand 
that is going to outpace the supply over the next three years for sure, if not five years. That's the first thing I would tell you. And we can circle back to that later. About wireless, we've got our 4G and LTE networks. So that's really long radios and shorter wires. So we've got a lot of tower erectors and contractors mm -hmm. that have been doing at macro sites for a holistic part, period of time. Now with 5G, we're gonna have short radios and longer wires which would be primarily we're talking about fiber optics today. Now this has brought in some new dynamics. And so we've got new types of fiber coming in and we have new potential. We have to test it, which is Viavi's totally in their wheelhouse. And we have to understand the different types and the splicing and the fail points, which again, that is the Viavi, what they do. So if you think about with the dynamics 4G LTE going to 5G, We've got our feeder cables and what's king is the ribbon fiber. Those are those huge counts of fiber. They're ribbon rollable, uh, various different terminologies for it. So now we have to know how to splice it. And we also now have to know how to test it. All right. And then we're getting to a splice network. So all these contractors are going to be splicing. Those are fail points. And I know I do a lot with Mike D and he goes very deep into that. But why, why are they going ribbon? It's all about total cost ownership and it's all about restoration. If something, a big backhoe or excavator takes out that fiber, you've got a lot of counts that you have to splice. Mm -hmm. It takes longer to splice, but it's a shorter period of time because you're doing 12, 24 fibers at a time as opposed to one at a time. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. all about restoration. And again, we've got fail points. The other thing I would tell you we get into what I call last mile fiber. That mm -hmm. is your fiber to the small cell. Now that, now we're, high, we're going into a hybrid splice to a potential pre-connectorized. You may be full spliced, you may be pre-connectorized. That is your drop fiber, and that's going to the 5G small cells. Mm -hmm. we, we see a trend at Gray Bar. We're gonna see a lot of pre-connectorized. So what is that? That's pre-manufactured, right? Okay. And then you start getting into the different types of connectors. You've got LC to SE, and I know that Mike D and Jeff will get into that. For high density, you're going into the LC. And then in this carrier space, they have specialized called out connectors, specialized cable assemblies. Man, there's lots of fail points coming in and lots of training and lots of things that has to go on for these mm -hmm. erectors that they've never dealt with the fiber to this extent before, mm -hmm. which has been common in the wireline business since about 2006. So now you have hybrid cables, those powered fiber cables, right? Because you've got to power those radios. So you're getting into things of that nature. So coming full circle, what I would tell you from a, as I hand off the back to Biavi, because I've just identified a bunch of fail points, why it's so key to have a great tester, knowing where your splice connector faults are at. But let's come full circle on the planning. Any tower erector or contractor has got the plan because demand is outpacing supply. So think about just reels of fiber that you need at the last mile that you need to, I need 300 feet, I need 500 feet, just cutting that, those services. Or you're ordering a set determined pre-connectorized, pre-manufactured at the manufacturer, and then you gotta know how to deal with those little test points there, which is not a splice network except at the hub. 
And do you have Slack space, right? And I think Jeff alluded to that earlier. So those are the big dynamics as we move into this whole podcast that I'd love to hand it back over to Biavi and say, man, there's just a lot of fail points here and testing it and getting it turned up is key and it's critical and the test is king. And I'd like to just hand it back over to the Biavi team. Okay. So you brought up connector, you know, what are the connector types that are out there? And when you look at cells, you know, cell installations and things, there might be some SC, um, Sam Charlie connectors or standard connectors, but more so the LC, the Lima Charlies, or what's actually called a Lucent connector. But as you said, ribbon fiber is becoming king out there. So OptiTips, OptiTaps, MPO type fiber, you know, pre-terminated or terminated connectors, those things are all in play. ODC connectors. So there's a plethora of different type of connectors that you can find out there. You know, and if you look at your, you were bringing up the terminated versus non-terminated, there's pros and cons to each one. Um, if you look at the, um, the connectorize, it's plug and play. There's no splicing. They simply, you know, take it and you'll have to take up the slack loops and curl them up because they won't be cut exactly to length. But then you have slack loops and things like that. It's a little bit more expensive. But then if you look at non-connectorized, these can be cut and spliced to length, but now you have the cost of the fusion splicer. So there's a mix of everything going on out there and everybody's working to try to find out what is the most efficient economical way to do this. And, you know, we know that one, one size, one solution does not fit all. We know there's a different type of cable at the cell site going up the tower versus the cable coming to the site from some remote location, right? Either in terms of fiber count or the, the termination or, you know, the, the equipment that's hung off the end of it. So, um, and it gets back to what, what uh, Scott, you mentioned in an earlier conversation about the access and the transport part of the network, um, different fiber packaging and configuration and, and, terminating techniques for different parts of the network. Absolutely. And just remember with, with that, the last mile of any network is the most expensive for the carrier side because the, our audience here are the ones that install it. Dynamics are changing, right? They're taking wireline principles primarily developed for fiber to the home. Mm. They're, now they're coming, becoming more in play or the wireless. So think about how far does that ribbon feeder or trunk cable go, right? And then you're looking at from the pole and there's the slack that Jeff talked about and those contractors that are deploying at that last mile, very expensive and they're very cognizant of that. So I don't know if I answered your question exactly, but uh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, you know, obviously the, the application dictates the type of cables that are going to be required, right? I mean, uh, if we're looking at a, a hybrid fiber power cable running up the tower, that's, that's a completely different design than, than a, a, a ribbon cable that may be running a few miles from a, a hub somewhere to, to the cell site, you know. And, exactly. I, and I guess with that, you have different tests and, and – uh, and verification requirements as well. You're dealing with different counts, different type of cable over different distances and different performances. So um, 
again, the skill set of the uh, of the field workers has to be pretty pretty wide, I think, to be able to accommodate these different deployments. Well, you've hit on you've hit on it, and there's no there's no good industry training, right? And what you have, if there is training, it's sole source with one type of manufacturer. We we found that what we did at Graybar is we formed a coalition, and Mike D just did one last night with me for another association. But uh, we formed a Graybar Training Alliance, and this is where we train for three hours at industry associations. Mm-hmm. Then we bring in the manufacturers of choice for the tower erectors in this instance, but we also do it for the carrier type. Net, mm-hmm. we, we call them network operators. Mm-hmm. Uh, ne- next year at the National Association of Tower Erectors, it was the number one selected program, and they didn't just want one. They want two three-hour sessions. That's how critical that there is no training in fiber and the contractors are trying to figure out, hey, I've done it at the at the macro site. Okay, right. they kind of got used to that. Now they're dealing with a lot of little fibers out at that last mile, very expensive, uh, lots of demand as 5G starts getting deployed on the major scale, as we know, that's coming, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's just all, yeah, that training industry training is key so we're we're taking a stab at uh helping people out and uh, a lot of industry associations are taking the program trying to develop their own once they see it so and we're happy to support and grow the industry and build the industry up uh and help in that matter so are are, are these programs uh, generic in nature or they tend to be uh uh, either product or uh or, or test test uh, gear specific? What, what we do in the three-hour session, and Coven kind of squirreled this up a little bit, uh, we, we take a three-hour session at the start, and the first half of it is classroom theorem. Then the second half of the three hours, you're out in the audience, and we have built actually fiber networks. We've built it, and we have we have all the different types of fiber they're going to see so they can touch and feel it because mm-hmm. there's pole attachments that you got to deal with. We have mm-hmm. all those. There's various splice cases that you got to know about. Mm-hmm. So you can see how to prepare splice cases. Then there's a splicing station. And then Mike D station at one of these is the most popular. It's the test. And Mike gets his, Mike gets his stuff out and he's showing them how to test. And then they, Biavi's got a really cool thing. It's a, it's a mapping thing. So when you plug that in, that tells you exactly where the fail point is. Hey, it's at the splice over here is labeled. Okay. Or, so what we do at the end of that, we aggregate customers in a geographical area. Most of them want this, and COVID shut us down. Then we interview them, and this comes circle back to yours. We have all the major manufacturers that are part of this coalition. They've all agreed. So if they want an AFL splicer because they've got a really good ribbon splicer, then great. They want the Biavi test. That's who gets invited by the customers. And then we'll bring in the type of fiber. So there's Corning, there's Prismium. They're the kings of ribbon. OFS does a good job. Uh, Comscope. So whatever that particular fiber manufacturer is or splice case, you know, there's Comscope, Del Tyco. Then there's Hubble. There's a variety. So we bring in the manufacturers that they need to train on their specific types of application and what they're seeing so we don't we're not we're agnostic to the vendor right and it was just a matter of organizing everyone to say yeah let's be part of this program and help the industry very good 
Mike, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, it's uh, pretty comprehensive, I think, the way Scott was laying it out. Right. And just one comment on the, the demand. Demand isn't for fiber per se, it's for bandwidth. And then the fiber is just an okay. excellent medium to fulfill that. Okay. So for the youngsters, they might not remember that uh, wireless backhaul was a T1 1.544 megabits <laughs> right. per second, right. at 1.5 meg. Well, if a 5G phone and it's supposed to be giving me a gig, a 1.5 million bits a second ain't going to handle a thousand. Mm -hmm. So now if the radios are going to a gig or higher, Cipri is up to 10 gig. Now we don't have a copper 1,000 meg, one, one meg. We got a fiber certainly at a gig, 1,000 meg and 10 gig and more. So because of that demand, which comes from smartphones, the internet of things, just look at our homes or houses or businesses, water sprinklers, garage door openers on TV, we see video cameras, right? Go away, I can see you. Whew, water sprinklers, boy, there's so many refrigerators, smart appliances. So as we have that request for bandwidth, uh, certainly in the wireless space, most of those are Wi-Fi devices, then we're going to have to have the bandwidth and that's going to be met with the fiber. So Scott mentioned many of those famous providers. So now the question is, is your fiber any good? It's like, well, I, I can deliver it in 16 weeks. <laughs> so it's now about who, who's got fiber available because it's in such high demand. Well, good. I think uh, I think that we'd like to wrap up the, the this session, and uh, uh, I think you've set the tone, you know, in terms of uh, the demand, the types of, of um, uh, fiber components, fiber cables, and um, want to do a, a little deeper dive in the next session on uh, specifically on fiber and wireless. So, any any closing comments at this point? Why don't you uh, just give us the uh, how how someone if they wanted more information can get in touch with uh, yourselves or or your companies. So for more information on Viavi Solutions, Both. we have a web page of viavisolutions.com, and on that page we have videos, quick cards, app notes, white papers, product selection guides. So if you want to learn about 5G or upon, most of that stuff is available on the web page. If you have a specific question, I'm reachable at mike.dee at viavisolutions.com. And for me, Jeff Harmon, you can reach me at jeff, J-E-F-F dot Harmon, H-A-R-M-O-N at viavisolutions.com. Great. Scott? Yeah, Scott Jackson at Graybar. It's scott.jackson at Graybar, spelled phonetically, G. George, R. Robert, A. Adam, Y. Young, B. Boy, A. Adam, R. Robert. So great bar with an A dot com. Thanks. Very good. Okay, so we'll wrap up this session. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, we'll be posted to our website, InsideTowers.com. And please join us again soon for part two. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.